Hi, welcome to another episode of the podcast uh, by Transit Matters uh, in partnership with Commonwealth Magazine. My name is Josh Fairchild. I'm a board member at Transit Matters. I'm joined today by Andrew McFarland, Community Engagement Manager for Livable Streets Alliance, and Catherine Carlson, Director of Transportation for A Better City. Welcome. Hi, thanks Hi. for having us. Thanks for having us. Um, we brought Andrew and Catherine in today uh, to discuss the Better Buses Getting, uh, Getting Boston On Board report that was released last week by Livable Streets. Um, so we thought this would be a great time to talk about the findings and the recommendations of the report and what that means um, for riders, uh, uh, residents, and uh, business uh, members of the community. Um, I guess we'll start with you, uh, Andrew. What could you tell us a little bit about um, the purpose of the report and what you what, what the findings were? Yeah. Um, so our report, getting Boston on board, um, the intention really was to um, really address uh, the transit crisis. That's um, happening on Boston streets right now. Um, we have seen, in the last 10 years, we have seen an increase in bus ridership, but the last uh, couple of years, we've seen a decrease. Um, between 2015 and 16 alone, there was an 8% uh, decline in ridership. And um, so we partnered with uh, Transit Center and some other partners to look at why that was happening. Um, and really, what we found was that there's just so much congestion, there's so much activity on our streets, that's really discouraging people from riding the bus. And um, specifically, we found that about um, you know where we're seeing the biggest problems are on Boston streets, and specifically on seven miles of uh, Boston streets um, are holding about, back about one-fifth of ridership. So it's pretty concentrated in some key co uh, corridors, which we can get into, but um, we found that you know we need to figure out a way um, that the city can work with the MBTA and MassDOT and other leaders to uh, really lead some improvements along these corridors and make some improvements that um, help make transit more reliable, but also um, decrease commute times for riders who are having some of the longest commutes in our region. Um, one of the things that we point out in the report was um, a stat that MAPC um, put together from their um, state of equity report in the update in 2017, and it found that um, black bus riders in our system um, are on the bus 64 more hours a year compared to their white uh, bus rider counterparts. So the inequities in our our transit system are alive and well, and we need to figure out a way that we can fix these um, soon. So even amongst bus riders, there's a pronounced um, disparate impact to, to minority riders? Yes, okay. yeah, definitely. So it sounds like the, the bold-faced finding of the report is that uh, of all the delays in the transit system, um, the concentration, the, the, the large percentage of these delays are attributable to only seven miles of street in the city of Boston. Yeah, yeah, definitely in terms of like where we're seeing the highest concentrations. And those are corridors, you know, if you ride the bus in Boston, these are corridors that make sense to you. Um, there are spots like Mass Ave in, in Back Bay and South End, uh, Washington Street in Rosendale, um, which has uh, tons of bus riders, almost 19,000 uh, bus riders a day traveling along that corridor. Um, Warren Street in Roxbury, um, Blue Hill Ave in Dorchester and, and Mattapan, uh, Brighton Ave in Alston were the major corridors that we found. Okay, so I guess um, this, any either one of you uh, should feel free to, to chime in, but I, maybe one of the responses from a listener would be, well, to the extent that ridership is falling, it's because delays are increasing. Um, the service just isn't as good as some of the, the new alternatives that are out there. Um, what, I guess what would the response from, from you be to that? Well, I would say, I'll, I'll jump in quickly here, Andrew, and then you can feel free to answer as well, is, you know, we, um, I was lucky enough to be part of a really interesting study trip to Seattle um, last fall that uh, a group um, in conjunction with Transportation for Massachusetts and Transportation for America 
sponsored. And um, and what we found in Seattle was interesting is that their bus ridership has actually been increasing, and this is what they often call choice riders. So people who might have the economic ability to take another mode, such as an Uber or Lyft, are still choosing to take a bus. And this is... Um, very much a result of the fact that the city of Seattle has focused on creating bus corridors and making buses run um, reliably and quickly and comfortably. And so if you can do that, you know, we think we will see an increase, uh, a rebound in the increase of ridership. And when we look at just, um, you know, beyond even just equity issues, you know, we have sustainability issues, resiliency issues that we have to address here in Boston, and the bus is one of the most sustainable modes of getting people around. Um, and so as much as we can focus on moving a mass amount of people along these corridors, we should. So I guess that's that seems very believable. Um, and let's say it's, we assume the facts are true, mm-hmm. that, that these bus corridors and improvements uh, there too are working in other cities and other systems. We're always hearing about you know places in, in Colombia or Mexico or something like that where this is working mm-hmm. out very well. Um, but if we get back to home and say, yes, but, but has it worked here because we have a silver line that is supposed to be, you know, an excellent BRT example, and that's one of the slowest corridors uh, from your study. It, w- it was played up that that was one of the slowest corridors. So w- why hasn't it worked here, and why should we believe that it could work here? Well, one of the things, a lot of our policy recommendations, um, of course, like they're directed at the MBTA, which um, operates our bus fleet. Um, but one of the things we really want to see is uh, more leadership from the city of Boston and um, having Boston lead some of these improvements. Um, in December, uh, the city of Boston uh, worked with the MBTA um, and a number of other partners to lead a, an operational uh, bus pilot on Washington Street in, in Rosendale, which I mentioned was like one of the busiest uh, bus corridors. Um, and the, the experience from that was exceedingly positive. Um, what we heard from riders, what we heard from um, people who live along the corridor. Um, Livable Streets was partnering with the city on outreach for that, so we talked to a lot of people along Washington Street. Um, but that was like a simple way that the city was making changes on our streets that helped improve uh, ride times for thousands of riders. Um, so I think one of the things that we really want to stress is that um, you know, with projects in the past, I think that there's a lot more that the city can be doing to help uh, prioritize these improvements and making sure that they're rolled out consistently across our system, um, not just like one-off projects. You know, we want to make sure that these things are, uh, we're leveraging what we're doing with our operations, whether it's uh, repaving streets and thinking about, do we put down a bus lane here? You know, how can we really improve this uh, corridor so that people are moving along it in the most efficient way possible? Sure. So if, if, um, if, if there's more improvements that could happen, I guess, why aren't we seeing, with, with the Silver Line example, mm-hmm. the, surface, the surface street Silver Line, you know, between Dudley Square and South Station uh, and, and to Chinatown, why are we not seeing um, the performance that we would expect? Are there, are there more things that have not been implemented, or, or what is happening that's causing that to be a, a, an area of delay? Yeah, I think that one of the things, um, so this past spring, uh, Livable Streets teamed up with um, Boston BRT and um, MBTA on the all-door boarding pilot. Um, so we were out there talking to riders, um, explaining to them the benefits of all-door boarding and how it can help improve um, their experience. Um, and from the surveys that we collected, a lot of the riders said that they felt like their trip was a lot faster. And there was like some time savings, but there was that improved experience. Um, I think that Alder boarding is a great way to help improve um, bus ridership along that corridor. Um, also, I think there needs to be um, 
better efforts at uh, trying to figure out how do we make sure that uh, that lane is kept open for buses. Um, that's something that we heard consistently from riders that um, you know delivery vehicles park in um, the bus lane on Washington Street. Um, people double park in it, um, which helps, which interrupts uh, the flow of the Silver Line. Um, so I think we have to figure out like. How, what's a better way of enforcing this? Do we have to figure out uh, better ways of managing curbside so that delivery vehicles can get uh, to shops and businesses so they're not blocking this bus lane? Um, so that's something that we would like to see, um, you know, the city work with uh, the MBTA on. Um, but that's like a, a small part of our report, I think. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, so even in, in what we would think of as an example of an improved bus corridor, we, we haven't mm -hmm. actually implemented all of the um, elements that would actually make that work. Um, or, or we're not enforcing the ones that, that exist, maybe. Yeah, I think that that's probably a fairer way of saying right. it, yeah. Okay. So uh, let's say, once again, maybe I'm, you know, kind of a, a grouchy uh, skeptic, and I would say, um, you know, that sounds great. Uh, it, it makes sense that if we implement these best corridor improvements um, where we have maybe separated lanes and we have uh, signal priorities where the, where the lights change or allow the buses to go through ahead of cars, um, we have the, the all-door boarding and things like that. Um, that sounds like that, that would work. Um, but you know Washington Street, which you mentioned, is very it's a two-lane street. It's been that mm -hmm. way for 400 years. Um, so it seems like you know we're all stuck in traffic together, right? So if I'm in my car, uh, I'm stuck too. So is, isn't it kind of fair as fair? Like why, why would we prioritize the buses if we're all, if we're all just stuck? What's, what's the rationale behind that? Yeah, I think that um, you know through the Go Boston um, 2030, Imagine Boston 2030 process, um, you know, the city did a great job of uh, trying to, to set out priorities. You know, we're going to probably add 50,000 new residents in the next um, decade or so, 100,000 more jobs. So we're going to see um, a lot more demands on our street space. Um, and like you said, we're not going to be changing the street grids dramatically. We're not going to be adding like five more lanes to Washington Street, as far as I'm aware. Um, so we have to figure out a better way to manage the space that we do have, which means trying to figure out how do we move more people, not just vehicles. Um, so I think that buses are the best way to do that um, cheaply, quickly, and effectively. Um, it's a system that um, about 450,000 people are already using today. Um, so we should be working with the, the tools that we have to um, make the system work more efficiently, I think. Sure. Also, if I can yeah. um, add to that as well, I think that um, you could you could think of that as we're we're all in it together and fair is fair, but you actually have to look at that um, kind of from an efficiency lens as well, and how much space is one person in a car taking up versus one person in a bus. And so it's not exactly apples to apples, is it? That person in the car is actually taking up a lot more space by themselves in a vehicle than the person on the bus. And so they are creating more of the congestion. And so it isn't, it is already not just um, a fair comparison. The people on the bus are being disadvantaged by the extra wasted space we see in low occupancy vehicles on the streets. Yeah, absolutely. And I think a, a really good example of um, some ways in which like bus lanes can help um, improve um, people who are traveling in personal cars or Uber or Lyft or whatever um, are getting around is in Everett, um, which has successfully um, tested out a bus-only lane on the upper section of Broadway um, in the last couple of years. And um, some of the feedback that I've heard from that is that uh, a lot of riders, uh, drivers rather, um, enjoy that um, bus lane because it um, doesn't mean, it means that like buses aren't pulling in and out of their lane all the time. It helps um, 
the overall efficiency of the roadway um, by thinking like how is this road being used and how can we figure out a way that uh, reflects those needs. So I think um, talking about the what's what's fair about how many riders and how many drivers and single occupancy vehicles or, or personal cars. Um, you know, a lot of times there seems to be a bit of a, an optical uh, illusion because you may see, um, you know, one bus or two buses and 10 cars and you think, boy, the bus is kind of maybe holding up the cars. D- do you have um, numbers? Um, I think there was some in this report actually about maybe the mode share on some of these corridors. It, it, like, are there actually more bus riders than drivers of personal vehicles? Yeah, on some of these key corridors that we've been talking about, um, that's definitely the case. Um, off the top of my head, I know that um, for Washington Street and Rosendale, um, during rush hour, um, about 60% of the people who are moving along uh, Washington Street are traveling in a bus, which is pretty outstanding. <laughs> in terms of six zero. Six zero, yeah. So 60%, so over, more than half um, of the people are traveling in a bus. So there is like a clear need to figure out how do we better uh, manage the street to move these buses more efficiently and get them in and out of uh, Forest Hills. Right. Um, so if there, if, if the city, or I guess what, what I was going to get to here is, is in the report, um, I felt like you had some aggressive language um, towards the city um, as far as, you know, you mentioned that Everett has already um, implemented one of these bus lanes. Um, we've been hearing, I, th- I think I've been reading about this um, even in the Globe for, you know, maybe going on five years or, you know, eight years or something like that mm-hmm. about these recommendations. Um, Go Boston 2030, it, I feel like it's already maybe three years old now. Um, at least the process started quite a while ago. Yeah, the report's probably been out for a year and a half now. A year as of March 2018. Going on, going on the first anniversary. Okay, great. So what, Happy birthday. What is... What is um, What's holding us up? What's keeping the, the city, if a lot of this is in the city's hands because the city owns the streets mm-hmm. and the bus stops and things like that, what, what's slowing us down? Um, I think that one of the things, you know, the city is doing a lot of work internally to, um, to address some of these issues and, and Go Boston 2030 includes a lot of bus improvements. Like, I want to be very clear about that, that the city is thinking about how do we improve the streets for buses. Um, And one of the things that we wanted to get out of this report, um, in addition to describing the need, was to outline some very clear steps that the city should be taking to address um, these issues incrementally. So a lot of, like, the projects included in Go Boston, um, especially, like, some of the transit projects, have, like, five-year timelines or, like, five to ten Um, and what we really wanted to address was, um, you know, that's great, but how do we get, uh, to that spot in five years? We have to do stuff incrementally. And so a lot of the, um, the ideas that we put together in terms of, uh, thinking about where are we putting transit signal priority on our streets? Um, how are we improving our bus stops? Um, where are we putting down bus lanes or queue jumps or other, uh, features? Um, we want to make sure that the city's thinking about uh, stepping up to this incrementally. So that's that was really what we were uh, trying to get out of our policy recommendations. Sure. Since you mentioned queue jump, I thought I would do a little insert here, a uh, mm-hmm. glossary term uh, for the listeners, that a queue jump would be, and correct me if I'm wrong, when you get to a stoplight, uh, maybe the bus is not the first car at, at the waiting at the signal. A queue jump would allow the bus to get up to the light and be the first one through the light so that it's not having to wait multiple light cycles if there's a lot of traffic. So that just, just even without having a separated bus lane, mm-hmm. you could have a few strategically placed queue jumps along, you know, the most offensive in, intersections uh, mm-hmm. in the city. And that could alleviate a lot of the, the delay that we experience. Yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah. 
Sorry. Uh, yeah, you, you go. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> I was just going to um, jump in and add that. You know, I think reports like this if, that a liv- Livable Streets just published, A Better City publishes a lot of reports. I think, you know, we think of ourselves and our organizations in partnership often with the city. This is, you know, this is not saying these are all the things you did not do for the last so long. This is saying, hey, we, you know, our bread and butter is talking to the businesses, is talking to the riders, is knowing what's going on on the street. And and in doing so, we can help you prioritize um, where you should focus your limited resources because this is going to have the biggest bang for the buck. So I hope that, you know, I hope the city sees this and I hope we, you know, get this message across as, you know, we think this is an amazing leadership opportunity for the mayor and the city of Boston and to join in with some of the other municipalities that mm-hmm. are working on improving buses like Everett, like Cambridge, like Arlington, like Watertown. Um, because the region, as we know, is seeing some explosive growth and that's really going to be hindered if we can't figure out how to move people and employees around. And so, you know, I see this and, you know, in the, in the work we do um, as a better city and the reports we do, we hope that it just provides background information, data, and hopefully, uh, you know, a prioritization list that the city can use um, to help them implement some of these projects. Yeah, that is definitely key. I think that um, Catherine's point about, like, especially political engagement, um, we wanted this report to be uh, a springboard for talking with decision makers and elected officials. Um, but also talking to um, community members and riders. Um, I think that there's, uh, based on some of the conversations that we've had, um, people are kind of confused about who should be leading on some of these improvements. Um, and when it comes to managing city of Boston streets, that's like whether it's putting down bus only lanes or um, changing the signals if they're owned by the city of Boston, that's something that the city should be leading and working with the MBTA on. So educating um, members of the community and uh, decision makers that this is something that you can expect from the city is one of the key things that we're trying to get out of this report. And um, so, yeah. It seems like if, if you went to an elected official and, and showed them the numbers and said, well, a majority of your constituents are, are being um, delayed um, in, in a ridiculous and increasingly bad <laughs> fashion, um, you would think that that would be a pretty loud um, uh, voice um, because it, they would probably want to be responsive to the majority of their constituents um, when we talk about certain corridors where this is the case. Um, so maybe part of it is making sure that the riders of the bus kind of understand um, the kind of information that's in this report and, mm-hmm. and who they could talk to um, to explain how this could you know, help them, help their lives. And maybe another part is different stakeholders. So um, I think the, the obvious stake, group of stakeholders that, that comes to mind would be the business community. Yeah. Um, so how would we involve the business community? Why should they care about this report? Maybe they're not riding the bus. Maybe they ride the commuter rail. Um, or they drive, who knows? Um, why should they care? Um, and what should they be thinking about um, that they could do um, to help out with this? Um, you know, I, th- I think the business community is already engaging and already thinking about this. And, and as I mentioned before, you know, the con- the cost impacts of congestion are, are huge on our community. Um, and, and so, you know, businesses are, you know, incredibly interested in finding ways to move 
um, move their employees faster to and from work, move goods around better. This is something that um, they are very much um, interested in. And so Better City, which is um, a business association, we have 126 um, members, you know, we we serve as some of that that voice for some of the business community. So we sit on the BRT, the Boston BRT Advisory Committee. Um, we work on, you know, we work with the MBTA and with the city on figuring out bus maintenance issues um, and and in improving bus technology and whatnot. And so I think that the business community is already very interested. Um, I think like anything, um, every individual reaching out to, you know, to their electeds, um, using their voices in ways that can be heard to make this a priority um, is key for everyone. And so, yeah, I think, yeah, business leadership is key. Um, when we were um, over the last year, as we were um, working on this report and working on some of the engagement campaigns that I mentioned earlier, um, we worked really closely with um, several uh, Main Streets associations, which um, a lot of them, their front doors are right on these corridors that we've been talking about um, and getting them um, involved. And they're already with it, I think, and eager to figure out how do we figure out a way to um, better move people on our streets and make um, our central business districts more uh, enjoyable for everybody. Um, we've also been working a lot in the Longwood area and um, doing uh, outreach there and trying to get a sense of how people are um, accessing transportation in the LMA. Um, and one of the things we found from um, those efforts is that, you know, the current transportation options in the Longwood area really are um, stressful for patients, number one, um, but also it's discouraging um, a lot of people who would be um, employees from uh, working there. A lot of people told us, I got a job offer from a hospital, but I decided to turn down because I don't want to spend like two hours of my day in a hellish commute. <laughs> so seeing that kind of like human impact that Catherine was talking about, like the inefficiencies of our current system and the opportunities to fix that, I think is, is really key. Um, but definitely if you read the report, if you, this sounds like a great idea to you, reach out to um, Boston City Council, reach out to the mayor's office, say that, hey, I want this to happen. Um, we have, you know, Mayor Walsh has demonstrated leadership in moving forward with Go Boston 2030 and highlighting what the city can and should be doing. Um, and we've also gotten a lot of support from city councils, uh, city councilors recently. Um, we had like a rally last week where we launched the report and um, councilors Presley and Wu and, and Janie were out there just being super supportive and, and making the connections between how this is a socioeconomic uh, justice issue for sure. And, and an economic growth issue in general. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, there it's really hard right now to get from Kendall Square to Longwood Medical Area, mm -hmm. right? Um, unless you're on a bike. But and these are, you know, two of the, the most growing areas. It's, you, you hear all the time how difficult it is for anyone who lives um, slightly north of the central business district to think about taking a job in the seaport. Again, another huge area of economic growth. So it, it both impacts people's job opportunities and impacts employers looking to hire um, great workers. And so th again, this is this is not about um, 
you know, buses for the sake of of buses being, you know, the, the cheapest transportation option or whatnot. It, it's actually integral. And especially when you think of kind of connecting, you know, finding BRT routes that can create these like circumferential connections through this region that aren't connected right now in our hub and spoke um, rapid transit. It's, it's just... Um, I can't overstate the importance for our economic vitality. Yeah, absolutely. So, Catherine, you mentioned uh, Kendall Square, um, and it, we, we all realize that we're in one of the tech hubs of the world. And uh, you know, we're, autonomous vehicles are being tested on the streets of Boston. This is one of the one of the pilot testing grounds, um, one of the few in, in the world. It seems like we're always being told that um, just a few years from now, um, this is this kind of tech will change everything. Um, you know, there's some hard decisions. Um, that have to be made for um, improving the bus system, as we've talked about. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe that we feel like the decisions are obvious and not very expensive, but um, why shouldn't we just wait and see what's going to come from the, the tech wonders? <laughs> well, because we actually don't have to wait for technology. That's the amazing thing. You know, a lot of the technology that we're talking about that would you know, almost immediately improve our bus system has been around for 20 plus years, right? When you think of bus signal prioritization, right? We could implement that in a much wider way and make buses run much smoother without, you know, in the, in the next couple of years. Um, AVs are, are absolutely coming. Um, you know, you'll hear some people say in the next 10 years, nothing will be the same. And you'll talk to other people actually from companies working on these issues that say, you know, the, the full implementation, the full system-wide benefits that we are expecting from AVs are much further out, right? It, it, it's going to take a lot more policy to be, um, figured out. It's going to be, it's going to, um, involve setting up a lot more technology platforms that work across the, the current companies, um, so this isn't, you know, I think absolutely in 10 years, we're going to see, have so many more autonomous vehicles on our streets. Will we see all the benefits, um, you know, the, the vehicle to vehicle communication, the, the running, you know, vehicles bumper to bumper, absolutely having no human drivers so that we can actually see, realize the benefits of those AVs, that's much further off. And, and you know, we're talking about people's lives here. We're talking about um, moving them around for those next 10 years. Why not make this to me, what seems like an incredibly, you know, easy investment in terms of the ROI you get now, um, even if it's just for the next 20 years. Yeah, and I can't stress enough how we are falling behind other cities when it comes to moving more people on our streets, um, especially like via buses. Um, Catherine mentioned Seattle earlier, but New York, um, San Francisco, um, Providence is launching their uh downtown transit connector soon, which is a great BRT project. Um, and all of our neighbors, Everett, Cambridge, um, Watertown, Arlington, they're all actively working on this. Cambridge has done a lot of great work um, expanding um, transit signal priority along Mass Ave um, and in Central Square in the last year. And we think that the city of Boston should be just as aggressive with expanding transit signal priority. But these are things that we can do pretty quickly and cheaply um, relative to like more... Um, flashy, sexy uh, proposals that sometimes come out of uh, our transportation world. Yeah, if, um, just to say quickly again about, about technology that, um, you know, I was mentioning that we have technology that's been around for years that, that we could implement. Um, and the reality is we're not using it properly now, right? Do we have, we could have much more widespread bus signal prioritization, um, you know, and it really comes down to the intention and how we use technology. So even if 
for instance, autonomous vehicle technology um, or gondola technology or, or what have you seems really sexy, it's actually about how we use it and how we implement it and what our intention is for creating the space. Um, so I don't think it's regardless of what you think in terms of the timeline of newer transportation technologies, we still as a society need to decide what the intention of our streets are and what the best way to move people around on. And the reality is the stuff that gets less attention is is often the bread and butter of of driving our economy, of, of the backbone of a transportation system. Sure, and I think sometimes we forget that um, even if um, all of the autonomous vehicle um, promises and aspirations come true. It's not really changing the geometric issue of, you know, we have very constrained um, street space in Boston. And, um, you know, the, having a vehicle be autonomously driven does not mean that it is now one-tenth of the size that it is. Um, people still like to have a certain size of vehicle. Um, perhaps what we should be more uh, excited about is the future of autonomous buses <laughs> or things like that, where Maybe. we can use the technology to move more people um, because to make the city work, it's just, it's just not, it's just, it just cannot work um, um, without worsening delays if we continue to think that um, having a, a minority of people, you know, taking up the majority of the space is going to keep working for us. Yeah, I think that um, in all the outreach and talking to bus riders like on the street that we've done the last year, um, one of the things I've found overwhelmingly is that people really value transit. They, they understand how it makes their lives better and makes it easier. Um, and that doesn't mean that they're not frustrated by it sometimes. Um, but I think that one of the things that uh, riders really want to see is for uh, decision makers at the city and the state level to value transit as much as they do. Um, and I think that that's something that we need to be working on more. And that's one of the things we really want to get out of this report and this um, advocacy campaign. So. Well, I want to thank you, the both of you for joining us um, for what I thought was a very interesting discussion. And I would encourage um, the listeners to also take a look at the report, read it for yourselves. It's not, it's not very long. You can read it in a commute if you're riding on a bus or, <laughs> or a train. And, um, and you can find it on Livable Street's website. Yeah, it's, um, you can find it on our homepage. Um, there should be a link on our homepage, and that's livablestreets.info. Okay, well, thanks again, and thanks to all the listeners for uh, joining us for another podcast. Thank you so thanks, much. Thanks,